Welcome to episode 15. Today I'm talking with Amy, a yoga instructor and co-owner of The Practice, a movement studio that has yoga influences in movement for the body. She's a lovely teacher and educator. She has a beautiful guided practice and we speak to some of the difficulties in balancing movement and rest as well as some of the current fitness ideas that aren't always ideal for every individual. We just discuss pain and movement, how to listen to your body. I really do enjoy talking with Amy and I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, uh, well, my name is Amy Tatry. I am the co-owner and co-founder here at The Practice. We are a movement studio located on Lake Bimook. Uh I both work in back-end operations here as well as teach the flow, the presence, the restore, and I also offer tarot readings here. Do you have a favorite class that you teach? Mm-hmm. Is there one that you prefer? I feel like the same as uh, for when I'm practicing, it really just depends on the day and the energy I'm in. I do personally find the restore really powerful because uh, it's so rare in this day and age to be in a space where someone's just telling you to rest and to relax and to soften and that you don't need to be doing any particular thing to be valued and valuable in that space. What is brilliant, I find, about how you instruct that course is giving people the, the freedom to feel each pose like they feel it, right? Like there's no restrictions on like, you need to be in this set movement, you're going to feel it here, this is the same for everybody, there's no deviation from the norm, like you need to look a certain way. And you just allow people to give freedom for the, how they feel when they come in, right? Because like, every time that you come into a practice, you're not even the same person yourself, let alone each individual that you're instructing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it opens up the door for people really to experience what they're meant to experience in a given moment, as opposed to uh, experiencing what they think is expected of them, um, whether that's the expectation of the movement community as a whole or me as an instructor or even of themselves. When I challenge them to press out of their boundaries in terms of um, expectations, when I, for instance, I guess, don't set that expectation, it encourages them not to set expectations on themselves either, which is actually quite challenging when we're so programmed to uh, kind of check boxes off and then the thing is done. Um, But people have some really cool experiences with themselves and just uh, figuring out who they are in a certain space when they're given that permission. Yes, your instruction does allow for a lot of that. And I find that my boundaries I'm uncomfortable when I can't give somebody what they want. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to like reach the expectations mm-hmm. of those people around me. And when I have an instructor or a teacher or, you know, a boss, my instinct is to 
give them what they want, right? Absolutely. Meet that expectation. Whereas in this space, that there's there's none of that. Like there's no expectation with the instruction. It's just like this very open, guided. Mm. I guess you could say it's more guided. Absolutely. Way of teaching it. Yeah. Yeah, I always like to remind everyone that I am just a guide, that their body, their breath are their first and foremost teachers. Um, really, I'm just up there giving suggestions. And if that vibes with you, awesome. If not, totally cool as well. Yeah, take it or leave it. Like, whatever mm -hmm. comes to you, even in that day. Because I know sometimes I'll come in with the intention of, like, I want to test the boundaries within my flexibility and then some days I'm just coming in because I just really need light movement and some days I'm coming in just to experience the space that I'm in like it never mm -hmm. it never becomes the same exactly and I think so often people don't even know what they're looking for until they land here so even what you think, okay, I'm coming here with this focus today as you walk in the studio might feel very different once you've laid in a shavasana for five minutes before class starts. And to give yourself that internal flexibility is really powerful because we are constantly ebbing and flowing as beings. And if we resist that current, we miss out on a lot of opportunity and possibility to explore within ourselves. And it's just a great reminder that we don't exist in this kind of black and white space of um, strict movement, strict rest, that there is this kind of fluid, fluidity between those spaces that uh, if we open ourselves up to that possibility, might look a lot different than we expected. So I guess what I'm saying is, for the example of flexibility, you come in seeking flexibility. And even if you're doing two sides of the same pose, one side you might be vibing with working through that flexibility and the other side you may be like, I'm really like feeling at my limit since I did the other side and I need to back off a little bit. So it's not even just you're not the same coming into this space day to day, month to month, it can be second to second, minute to minute as well. Yeah, and, and it all depends on how you've structured the poses, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you come in, you don't know what to expect necessarily on mm -hmm. what sequence you're going to see or how you're going to feel through the sequence. You can make as many assumptions as you want, but it's generally, <laughs> it's generally quite wrong some days. You just don't, you just need to let it happen and be okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. How do you approach your own um, movement practice? Like, what does it look like for you? Yeah, I would say it's gotten to a place where it's very, um, very organic. I just really trust and listen to my body and what it needs in a space and time. So it's not very structured. Um, I mean, I teach a lot and I usually move when I'm teaching. Um, I have a few things I do every week that uh, benefit me like from an injury recovery standpoint, like I do bodies every week. Um, but other than that, I it's taken me a really long time to get to that space, but to really listen to that organic ebb and flow of my existence. So 
there'll be times where I'm really craving gentle movement and I'll just allow myself to have that. And that might look like taking a flow class, but taking it really easy in a flow class. It might look like long, gentle walks outside. Um, and then there's other days that I'm feeling really fiery and amped up. And in that moment in time, I might choose to take a more intense practice. I might go to spin class somewhere or go for a little run. Um, I just allow it to really be authentic to how I'm feeling in the day. And I um, really just don't do anything I don't want to do. <laughs> That's really good advice though. Yeah. Right? Because there's so many options mm -hmm. that sometimes people get stuck in the monotony of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Just because they don't know anything else even exists. Totally. an option. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So you, you, you would say that you kind of shift into this more organic way of looking at movement and mm -hmm. health. Prior to that, what was kind of, what, what, how was it structured for you for movement? Yeah, I had like a pretty rocky relationship with movement and uh, came from a space of forcing myself to go to the gym every single day. And if I didn't, I would be doing jumping jacks and push-ups before bed, like, and not as a thing that I'm doing because I enjoy it or to burn off energy, but as a, like, I am not allowed to go to bed until I do this thing. So it came from a pretty unhealthy relationship that, uh, took a while to transform. Um, and I really think that such practices as like what we call here the restore, which is really um, my personal combination of yin and restorative. Um, I moved through that kind of training and started teaching it. And that really reminded me uh, that there's a lot of power in the pause and the stillness um, and the softness. And by going to that opposite end of that movement spectrum, um, help me find my balance a little bit more. Yeah, you went from one extreme mm -hmm. to kind of the other end mm -hmm. of it to find where you fell in between. Yeah. To find balance between both sides. Yeah. Because um, again, like you said, some days you do feel like pushing it more and, mm -hmm. and having that intensity and some days you don't. You, yeah. want, you want something that's a little bit more relaxing and a little bit easier on your body just because that's what feels good. Mm -hmm. I think when people wake up with the expectation, like, you know, we set these like hard, strict rules for ourselves when it comes to fitness, you know, when so many of those rules don't apply to the general population. Yeah. Like you're looking very different between like a competitive athlete who it's their goal to reach a certain level mm -hmm. of athletic ability or like pro bodybuilders, like clearly mm -hmm. they need to do something to get there. Mm -hmm. But the rest of us yeah. are usually just looking to be healthy, yeah. right? And we don't even know how to define healthy. Totally. And I think something that's so um, overlooked is, I mean, we all know that stress is unhealthy. That's something that most people know, but we often forget as a society that then the expectations that to be healthy, I must do X, Y, Z workout is only stressing us out. And that stress is going to counterbalance any positive potential outcome we would have from doing that physical movement. So 
for me, it's more so about finding joyful movement and um, things that just feel good in your body. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to find yourself in a challenging position and space. That's fine. Challenge is not inherently bad or good. It just is. But it also means that you don't need to seek out a challenge in order for what you're doing to be valuable and worthy of your time. Yeah, and, and sometimes you will find enjoyment in the challenge. So like even going and like walking something like Cape Split, many people would find that challenging. Totally. But is it rewarding? Is it beautiful? Can you find enjoyment in it? Well, now you've just reached the benefits of like the physical, but like also the mental part. And, I, and we can't, I guess we try to compartmentalize those two things as being completely separate. Mm -hmm. You know, when people discuss self-care, their mental, they put it in a box of like, you know, I need to just like sit, do nothing. I'll get pampered. Somebody else would do something to me, for me. Mm -hmm. I'll eat. And then the other half of it, okay, well, fitness, that's my physical well-being. That needs to be something totally different. Mm -hmm. That's doesn't seem to be the way this place is even structured. Totally. And I think, again, it goes back to that, like, honoring of the ebbs and the flows. Like, one day for you, like, caring for yourself holistically, like, mind, body, soul kind of idea, um, might look like doing very little. It might look like pampering. It might look like just existing. And that's great. And then another day it might look extremely different it might you might have all this energy that you want to honor and that might look like doing a challenging workout it might look like going for a long hike it might look like whatever else it doesn't have to be this everyday perfect balance that's not attainable that's yeah. not realistic and it also then is still not honoring our ebbs and our flows if I wake up full of energy and like really amped up, it's not going to benefit me to say today is the day I do a two hour meditation practice and a restore class. It's that's working against my body. Whereas saying, okay, I really would feel like a dance class today or something that brings me joy. Or maybe I want to go boxing or maybe I go for a jog, something like that, that feels good for me in that moment. That is going to benefit me more because I'm not fighting against my natural rhythm. I do. Yeah, so you went through that whole phase of feeling like exercise was almost a form of punishment because it mm -hmm. needed to be done to a certain intensity, daily, very structured, mm -hmm. before you were able to find that balance in between, you know, that you, you can do both, and you don't have to be the same every day or within a day, and things will change, and being okay with that. Totally. Now, this practice here, what, what made you decide to open up a movement studio like this? Yeah, so um, I had been a yoga teacher. I'd worked in the industry of yoga studios for ever since, well, before I graduated university. And um, it was great. And I had some great experiences. However, as the industry as a whole, I've seen like a lot of gaps and a lot of people that are left out of the conversation. And um, this really linear idea, even within yoga, of what yoga should be, of what movement should be, of what fitness should be. And if you are in a flow class, you should be flowing. Or like 
rest always seemed like this kind of thing. You can do it if you need to, where I like to say rest if you want to. Like, so essentially, um, I had been feeling that way of wanting to break out of that mold and find something a bit more authentic to myself. And of course, what better way to do that than have your own space. And then, um, uh, Laura approached me with, um, the idea for the space and it's so aligned with how I was feeling that um, things just took shape from there. It fell into place. Yeah, lovely. Now, if somebody was to come to one of your classes, like your restorative class, what should they expect um, when they walk through the door? What would a new person experience when they come in? Yeah, so... Um, if you were brand new, first time here, uh, you would find us at the front desk. Um, your instructor will be there and potentially um, someone working the front desk as well. Um, we would have a conversation with you. Um, I always think it's so important to chat with people, especially on their first time, find out if they have any injuries or any questions, any special concerns, anything they already know that they would like an option for before coming in. Um, get a little tour um and then the space in the studio space where we practice uh we actually um, mark out spots for people with the props so that everyone has as much distance as possible in the class um so you have lots of space um and we have this space before kind of the general rule of thumb is you can chat until someone lies down in Shavasana. The second that someone chooses silence in this space, everyone kind of follows suit. Um, if you ever come with a friend though, we have lots of spaces to chat outside of the studio as well. Um, so usually by the time that um, I, as the instructor, come in the room, everyone's lying in Shavasana, quiet, restful, there'll be some music on, um, and then we get started um, with the class for the restore poses are usually held anywhere from two to eight minutes. Um, you'll have all the necessary props already at your mat. However, I always encourage you to let me know if you would like any more, or you can always grab more from our prop stack um, before you come in the space. Um, and then, of course, I'd guide you through the positions. I almost always give at least one option uh, for the poses and, again, really encourage rest. Um, if you know for yourself at any time that a different position or a shavasana or a child's pose or what have you would be more beneficial to you, I fully trust you to make that choice for yourself. Um, our big thing here is personal choice and that... Uh, autonomy over yourself is so, so important. Uh, it's really an empowering thing. So that's the kind of energy and attitude you'd experience at a restore class. There'd usually be some candles lit, the room would be um, warm and dark. It's not hot yoga by any means. However, especially for the restore, you're moving so slowly, the room being warm uh, is beneficial because you get cold quite quickly. The way you structure not only the the way that you introduce yourself to new people and how you get that information from them is one of the main reasons why I feel as a therapist most comfortable if I think um, your class is beneficial to any of my clients, that this is now the studio that I send them because there's enough instruction and support that even injured I feel like a lot of people could benefit 
from the movement that they can get from these classes. And if somebody is going through current injury or having issues in certain movements, I would highly suggest trying one of the restorative classes because it is a nice, slow moving, you're not going to find yourself forced into a position that that'll increase your chances of injury or flare anything up. And that's what I find is really well done about your studio. Well, thank you. That means a lot because that's so, so important uh, to us here and to me um, that no one ever feels like they have to reach a certain point for them to be doing the right thing. Um, you'll often hear me saying in my restore classes that in the restore, the like highest expression of any pose is the pose that's most supported. Like the pose that you can relax and soften into um, and finding that position using your props um, so that you can uh, relax in the positions you are in safely and feel like you're not tensing your whole body up to stay in space. Yeah, and then giving that, you know, more than one option. And then even the way you say the rest, right? Mm. If you, you don't, it's not a... If you need to, like yeah. if you have to, because you've gone too far, like if you if you have to, then fine, take it. Mm -hmm. You're more or less almost saying that the rest in itself mm -hmm. is giving you something for your practice, right? Um, absolutely. Thank you again for noticing that because these little uh, linguistic things are so tiny, but they can be so impactful. Um, I very rarely will say if you need to in any of my classes unless it's in the instance of like for safety like to if to prevent your back from rounding you need to bend your knees that's great or something yeah. like that uh but i often will use the terms want if it serves you best be, or what have you because i don't want anyone to ever think that resting or backing off or choosing a different option is lesser than um just by being in this space just by breathing just by feeling how things feel in your body and being really present and aware of that is like extremely beneficial in itself. If you just show up and lie there and listen, amazing, 10 out of 10. Like there's no gold star for doing every pose or doing any yeah. pose a certain way because there, there's no reason for that. Everything is, is, especially in the restore, everything is just about being present with yourself, tuning into how your body feels in the space and softening somewhere. So if you are muscling through a position that's way too uh, deep for your level of mobility, um, that's only going to cause you harm. Uh, whereas if you were to either choose to back off a little bit or to rest, that is doing you a great service. So yeah, I think it's super important to remind everyone every single class that rest whenever you want to and take any option that feels best for you in the moment. Uh, because even if you, for instance, always do a certain position and feel fine in it, it might surprise you in a given day and it just doesn't feel good anymore. And that's okay. You don't need to worry about why or try to fix it or change it. That's what the options are there for. Well, and to even look at it like... The class is a set like the time, right? And you might not be able to do the same length mm. of an exercise or, or, you know, a sequence for even that amount of time. So 
to use the rest as part of the restorative yoga as opposed to failing out of the position mm -hmm. and taking it as like I couldn't meet that expectation of finishing it mm -hmm. as if you know there's just like this imaginary finish line that you have to reach yeah. right like this podium of like oh I finished every you know yeah that's not what it's about so to make it part of the restorative is important mm -hmm. and and I like yeah how you word it gives people again freedom within it to use it as part of the not just a side like you're no longer doing what we're doing yeah you're not in the class for a little while because you couldn't maintain mm -hmm. it that's a little bit of a failure yeah come back when you're ready it's mm -hmm. more of part of the actual restorative absolutely yeah very well done and again another reason why I feel so comfortable even sending people who are injured because that's one thing that they fear right totally when you're injured you can fear movement yeah and you don't always know what's going to flare it up yeah until you learn absolutely and also I think especially if you're coming in with an injury um, and you're a person that uh, before their injury was quite active or what have you, um, you often, you already feel like a failure by coming into a space with an injury because you're like, oh, I'm, and I get people apologizing to me. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, I have this hip injury. I won't be able to do this, that. I'm like, why are you apologizing <laughs> to me? That's so unnecessary. It's, this is a space for you to, you know, find whatever works best for your body. It's to explore what can that injury teach you or offer as a different option for you. And it's so interesting, even when I ask people, do you have any injuries or anything you're working through? People will be almost uh, reluctant to tell me as if I'm going to say, oh, you have to leave. Like, you can't do this class. <laughs> <Yes>. Like, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and they'll be like, but I can figure it out myself, which is fine. And I totally understand and encourage that. But I'm like, I'm just asking so I can give you some options and to um, potentially provide you with some information on how to make it work for you as opposed to you trying to force it in your body but there's such a resistance there sometimes so I always think that injuries can be one of our greatest teachers because they are humbling in the fact that they can show us that uh, harder faster is not always better very true you don't always have to be pushing that line mm -hmm. you can push that line in a different way and I often find that mm -hmm. when I talk to people who aren't used to doing restorative or yin or say that they don't like it see that's just a foreign concept to me mm -hmm. like I, <laughs> I don't understand how you, yeah. you can't like no matter sometimes I'm in more of a restorative mood than others yes we've discussed that but like to just blatantly disregard the entire practice just seems very strange to me yeah and it's often the people that struggle with quieting their bodies and their minds that actually need it the most. Absolutely. They will get the most out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because uh, it is it is still a challenge in a different way, right? It's much more, it can be a physical challenge as well. Like if you're working through mobility or what have you, uh, but it's certainly a challenge for the mind to sit and be in a space. Um, I don't like to say that as like a blanket statement because I also think if that's something that comes really easy for you, you don't have to force it to be a challenge. It's okay if it's easy. It's okay if it's just comfy and fluffy and 
love and, and you're doing um, it for a totally different reason, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But it's also okay if it's challenging. Any expression of how you show up is okay. And so, if you're the type of person that has a really hard time being still, then it's okay if it's hard. That doesn't mean you need to shy away from it. Um, and yeah, you certainly might get a lot out of it just by trying. Yeah, I mean, in baby steps, mm-hmm. right? Like you yeah. don't need to go to the eight-minute hold immediately. Yeah. Right? Like there is an in-between that you'll get a very nice flow. But if you just take a little bit more time to assess yourself in each position, you can end up learning a lot by just slowing down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. Uh, for those that are intimidated by the restore, that are current students of mine, I, I do have a class once a week that's half flow, half restore. So I'll usually tell people to start there because it's only 20 minutes of the restore. And then I have a shorter restore class, it's only 45 minutes every Wednesday at 5. And I'll then be like, okay, now try that one because it's a little shorter. And then we'll kind of work our way up to the 60 minute, um, the 60 minute restore. So yeah, it's, uh, it's really nice to have that opportunity to not feel like you have to stay in the books for the whole time yeah. as well. Yeah. That's a nice thing for the rest as well. What I what I found it was fascinating as I recently listened to a podcast that studies have come out to show that yogis or anybody who practices yoga on a regular basis actually has a higher pain tolerance. And it's not all discomfort. Yeah, it's a bad thing. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. I again the same as kind of that word challenge. Like discomfort, totally fine and okay, and sometimes even useful. Um, but I also think it's okay if you don't feel discomfort because sometimes that's kind of people go in with that as the goal is to find the discomfort whereas I think that it's okay to be comfy and comfortable and I think that's also really useful um but to what you're saying 100% like if you are in any sort of any sort of anything you're going to find discomfort at some point in time whether it's movement or not um and I can totally understand why that uh, the pain tolerance would be higher, even just in breath work and like breath awareness and using that breath to kind of know that something isn't going to exist with you forever and you're in it for three breaths or something like that, then you have that awareness of using your breath to move through that piece of time, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I do think that it becomes almost second nature for people that have been in these kind of practices for a while to be able to find that comfort in the discomfort or I almost like to say like the like calm in the chaos as well um because we play with duality and the dichotomy all the time so when that meets us in real life we're much more capable of moving through it I would would have to agree with that. That makes a lot of sense, breaking it down. Mm. If if somebody was to come to you with that same mentality that you felt stuck in for the longest time Mm -hmm. about fitness being a punishment, um, what would your words of advice be on how they could find a balance? Mm -hmm. 
I don't have a direct answer for that because it's such a nuanced subject because so often it comes from a place of like dis like disordered eating and disordered relationships with movement and food. Um, however, I really do think that you need to find that opposite. Like you, I know in, um, in the eating disorder world, they call it like a refeeding phase where you just really just eat all of the things that you restricted yourself from because it helps to rewire the brain. Um, and I think that can be really useful in movement as well. And this is totally just my own opinion. Um, there's yeah. no formality about it, but to really just immerse yourself in softness and gentleness and gentle movement and stillness um, until you can see and truly admit to seeing that um, the value in the softness and the worthiness within doing nothing and that you can honestly say that you see that just as much as you see the value movement and then once you get to that point it's much more safer to begin to add in other forms of movement again but to do so in a way again that movement that you find joy in if you don't enjoy it don't do it like don't do it. why there's so many different ways to move your body um so much available to us now especially that you might as well find something that does bring you joy as well as uh, allows you to move your body in a way that feels good well and sometimes you lose enjoyment in stuff when you set that expectation to be the punishment so having to go to the gym you know every day one hour beat myself up if I don't do that mm -hmm. there's something wrong with me if you give yourself the freedom to just do any, anything, mm -hmm. you might actually come back to it and find, you know, you, you didn't hate lifting weights. You just hated the approach you were taking. So you could do that a couple times and then you could swing to something totally different. Like, mm -hmm. again, when you're just part of, when your goal is just general health, I shouldn't say just, but when it's general health and fitness, for most of us, you don't have to structure quite so strict, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And I think that um, that's when kind of the like um, exercise addiction can show up is when it's the same thing over and over and over and over. For me, it was running was a big thing that I did at the gym or at home or wherever I could. And for a while, I actually just had to keep that out of my life because I knew that if I started, I'd be like, okay, just one more kilometer. And then the next day I'd be like, okay, I need to run five kilometers because I ran five kilometers yesterday. And it was really easy for me to fall back down that rabbit hole. So pulling back enough and taking more gentle movement and more stillness and softness, eventually I was able to take my dog for a one kilometer run or even just half a kilometer run and then be done with it and that's okay because I was feeling energetic in the moment and now I can't have that relationship again with it um and I but I don't have to do it every day it's okay for me to just take it when I need it and when I want it and to have that as just another tool in my belt of my physical health because I think that's another thing to speaking to health um and wellness that like your movement is this tiny part of that. Like health is so overarching and there's so many different factors in that and only so many factors that we even can 
control. And so by acknowledging that and knowing that we have to exist within the system and to live in this body and how can I honor this body in a way that feels good and joyful and nourishes me and uh, allows me to use my body and to feel good about it. And then keep that up. Yeah. For longevity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think longevity is a great word there because if you are doing something you hate, you will inevitably stop doing it. So finding diversity of movement and not forcing yourself to do a certain amount of movement, a certain time of the day or week or what have you. And by saying, oh, for a few weeks, I feel like taking some slow walks or I feel like taking the restore or I feel like meditating or I feel like doing nothing. That's all valid and valuable and will serve your health in other ways. And then you won't feel this pressure and this shame around it that you weren't quote unquote moving in a way that society deems as movement. And then because of that lack of shame, it's so much easier to then just start moving when you want to again, to take the movement you want to when you want to do it. It just becomes a lot more organic and um, natural to take what you need. It's just more of a lifestyle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. It doesn't feel as forced. Yeah. Because yeah. it just kind of, it ends up happening because you want it to. Yeah. As opposed to forcing something that you don't want. Absolutely. Because I have a, a mentality or a mindset that if I get told I can't do something or I can't have something <laughs> for some reason, now I want it. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand. I probably <laughs> didn't, like, I probably wasn't even thinking I wanted it before this. Mm -hmm. And I probably, until you told me I couldn't, I didn't even register it existed. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm being told that I can't have it... Yeah, <laughs> I really relate to that. Um, I am very similar to that, and it's something that I actually have to work with because I'm like, is is this proving someone wrong, bringing me joy in doing this hard thing, or am I just like harming myself by forcing this thing to happen? So if it's bringing you joy to be addictive against the person that told you you could do something, how about her? But yeah. you're going to do yeah. it anyways. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's figuring out like, is this really what I want? Hold on. Or is it just because somebody said I couldn't have it? Absolutely. And I think that all just comes back to an awareness, um, a self-awareness and to like, have that honest question of yourself. How do I feel here? How is this thing making me feel? Is it a positive emotion? Is it something different? And is that something different, something that's useful to work through or is it harming me in any way? And it's always strange too in the fitness area, mm -hmm. health and wellness, we like to put these tags on things of like good, yeah. bad, right? Yeah. There's very little gray area, mm -hmm. you know, you can go online and find out anything about anybody saying anything's going to kill you. Like, you'll find an article that says running is going to kill you. And you'll find an article that says, but if you sit for work, it's worse than smoking six packs a day. And then yeah. you're like, yeah, what? And I can't even pick the right food because it seems like nothing but water. Well, but water could kill you. Maybe <laughs> you get to consume as much of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <sighs> Absolutely. I think it really does come back to the, the word 
industry. This is an industry and those things are trying to sell you something. Whether or not it's scientific or peer-reviewed, oftentimes, um, and I'm very pro-science, don't get me wrong, yeah. but oftentimes these things are sponsored by a certain company or industry and they're putting this article out that says, do this and this will happen because they want you to buy their program or they want to sway you in a certain direction or like we see it often like with the dairy industry and all of their things like your bones will literally break and shatter if you don't drink <laughs> six glasses of milk a day. <laughs> like, or yeah, like cereal companies telling you this is part of a complete breakfast. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like really, I think the awareness that this is an industry, it's a huge industry that makes a lot of money every year. Um, and to know that you have to take everything with a grain of salt that you hear. And the one and only person that can ever tell you what is right for your body is yourself. Um, everyone else has an agenda of some sort, whether it's a good agenda or a bad agenda. Of course, we have healthcare professionals that we seek, but to seek them with intention, to yeah. say, I know that it's best for my body to seek out this particular care and um, and then to take that also as a personal choice and not as something that you have to do. Of course, there's exceptions. If you have a broken leg, go see a doctor yes. and all that kind of stuff. Yes. But um, But like in the like niche of kind of wellness and not like healthcare, I guess. Um, there is always an agenda and really you need to listen to your body and listen to yourself. And it takes a long time to get over the programming that we've existed in with the media and with magazines and telling us this, that, and the other thing. But when we do, it's, actually so easy they want us to think it's so hard but it's so easy just to sit with yourself in a moment and say what would be valuable for me to eat here and the answer might be a cupcake and that's okay there's usefulness in that form of fuel it might be i really would like a salad and that's awesome too there's to take away that um that uh good bad kind of binary is so useful because we are, our bodies are so intelligent and it's really quite sad that we are always looking outside for the answers when in reality we tune in to how we feel in a particular instant or moment or day. It's so easy. It's yeah. so easy to decide what would be the best thing for you to eat in a moment? What would be the best movement for you to take? Maybe sitting is the very best thing for you to do. Maybe you're not feeling great and you've had a really hard week and sitting and relaxing and watching Netflix is exactly what you need. Awesome. Maybe that's not how you're feeling, but that self-reflection and self-communication is so valuable and something that once we achieve and can kind of get to is way easier than we ever would think it would be. You're listening to yourself is a big one. And yes, yeah. your body, we're, we're built to survive. Like your mm -hmm. body will always find a way and it will always find its home spaces. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we don't give our bodies enough credit mm -hmm. that they know what they want. Yeah. Because we just, we're either trying to tell it a different story or we're convinced that we're just lying. Like her bodies are obviously lying. And that, that was a big thing for me to finally get over uh, was the fact that I was like, 
stuck in this calorie idea that like mm-hmm. I needed to stay within X number of calories a day. And so if my body told me I was hungry at the end of the day when I'd already consumed those calories, it clearly was lying. Like why why would it need how would it know? My fitness yeah. tracker told me that I didn't need yeah. any more calories. Mm-hmm. Fitness tracker told me that I maxed out for the day. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like I'm starving? Yeah. I'm clearly wrong. Like clearly my like my body is what's off. Not like you know. made up randomized numbers <laughs> probably off by 50% or whatever ridiculousness Absolutely. right but yeah. no I was always convinced that like technology mm-hmm. was right yeah. my tech was right yeah and my body had no clue what was going on and it was lying to me so mm-hmm. I I should just go to sleep hungry because mm-hmm. it doesn't know better than it has <laughs> Isn't it just the most ridiculous thing? Like, it's so interesting, and I don't know who to blame, but it's like also like the 10,000 step thing is made up. That's made up. It's a made up number. Someone's, it's a marketing device. Yeah, it was used for advertising. It was Kellogg's, wasn't it? Like, it started those. Well, it actually started over in, I'm pretty sure, China or Japan. They have a word. That means 10,000. Hmm. And so the phrase that they use is super catchy mm-hmm. to be 10,000 steps a day. And then mm-hmm. Kellogg's got like a hold of it and it became. Yeah. But it's such it's an arbitrary number. Yeah. It's so interesting. And like, yeah, I think we almost can all say we've been there, right? Where we're like, oh, well, I can't eat anymore. My pal <laughs> told me not to. And it's just so sad. It's so sad to think of the fuel that our bodies missed out on that we're literally saying, I need fuel here, but also just that the industry has manipulated this, like these generations of people. And um, it's going to take a long time to recover from that diet culture that we've all been immersed in. And I think it's so important and to take all of us to take that personal responsibility of looking at it because us breaking that is what will prevent it from leaking into the next generation and the next generation after that because it's just it's so ridiculous and it's just arbitrary right it's just and and even for like I don't consider myself a very stupid person necessarily and I know all the statistics on on trackers and, and how off calorie tracking can be and how inaccurate nutrition labels can be like what it was like when I saw that number go into the red I was like oh no it's, <laughs> how did I do this I know it's such an interesting like from a like sociological standpoint it's like they really they really messed with us like they really did they use all of the things that trigger our brains like dopamine responses to like good job you did it or bad job like you didn't do it um and it really just messed with our relationships with movement and food as a whole and um I think it's so important to reclaim that space because yeah and also the idea of like calorie bad where calorie is literally what keeps you alive that's like it doesn't make any sense like this is literally our fuel you don't say like Oh, don't fill your gas tank up too much. Like that's 
just silly. Your car knows when it's time to stop filling up the gas tank. Your body knows when it's time to stop eating. And that's also mobile and flexible and changes day to day, depending on how much you use your body, depending on um, what part of a cycle you are in, depending on how much you've used your brain today. Your brain uses calories. Like calorie is a unit of energy and that's all it is. They're not bad. They're good. They're literally our life force. And the idea that less of them makes you a more valuable person is absolutely ridiculous. And when in reality, the more calories we have, the more energy we have. If you are going to do X, Y, and Z, you need to intentionally eat more. There's no reason ever that you should intentionally eat less. Yeah. It's not, it goes against our biology. Well, and I think for a lot of people, and this is just not based on anything but certain observations, but once you start listening to the small, like, whispers that your body gives you instead of waiting for it to like scream at you mm-hmm. right and this goes for things like hunger and a big thing that with my clients pain mm-hmm. right like yeah. your your body is constantly giving you feedback and if you just listen to it just a little bit more and become aware of your little you know events that are going on in your body it won't end up having to yell at you and like create a lot of that chronic pain or yeah. you know fatigue. A lot of those big ones yeah. that just because now you know you starved yourself, you're probably going to swing the pendulum the other way and eat copious amounts of you know addicting food because now you're getting the dopamine because well you're upset that you're eating, so you might as well get a little bit of hit of happiness in there with the like. Restrictive eating. Yeah, absolutely. And I like even just the idea that like food can be addicting is kind of counterintuitive, right? Because it's like saying you're addicted to water. It's not. You need it to live. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Like, yeah, you're totally right. Of course, once we like your body's literally almost, you're, you become possessed by yourself. You need to feed yourself and your body's panicking. And it's the same thing, like you said, with pain. Once you, you, once you push yourself to that point of, once you don't listen to your body and you push yourself into that state of pain, lots of different problems can come up physically as well with that because you haven't, again, listened to those little whispers, which when you attune yourself to, they're so... They're not, I shouldn't say easy to hear, but they're there. Yeah. Um, and I always like say in my classes, you know, if this even feels like it might be pain, no, don't do it. Like oftentimes you'll hear people say discomfort is great before pain. And I think that's a little, it's leaving too much of a gray area and it can be useful for sure for a person that's very mindful and knows their own bodies very very well but if you're a person coming into a space and it's new to you and you're like well I don't know what what does that even feel like and we are so trained to hear like feel the burn like you know it doesn't count unless it hurts like and that's such a thing in the world of movement um then someone might be feeling extreme pain in their knee during a squat or a chair pose or whatever and they don't do anything about it because they're like I think this is just discomfort 
So I will say, you know, feeling it is okay. But if even, even you have to question, is this pain? That's your cue to back off. Yeah. Because there is a lot of people who even in, in my area, you'll ask them to describe their pain Mm -hmm. and and you'll, you'll get a blank look. And then you have to give them a, you know, a few cues on like burning, aching, mm-hmm. sharp, stabbing. Mm-hmm. These are all different ways that pain can manifest mm-hmm. and they mean entirely different things. Yeah. But if you're not used to it, especially even the difference between discomfort and pain, you, you can't really differentiate because to mm-hmm. you it's it just feels all the same because you don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. And that's an interesting one with some people coming into new postures. It makes sense. They could be experiencing pain. And pain is so subjective. Yeah. So like one person's 9 out of 10 cannot be compared to somebody else's 2 out of 10. Or yeah. Two people's 9s can't even be compared to apples and oranges. Yeah. Right? Individuals are individuals. Mm-hmm. So the, this overarching idea of just pain can be difficult for a lot of people to manage if they don't have that body awareness yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's something that um i always think you know sure someone might lose a little bit of i don't know glute activation if they come out of their squat because it's just discomfort and not pain but the flip side of that is if they stay in pain and sit with it they could potentially cause a long-term injury in their body. So I always just think it's better to be safe than sorry in that regard. Um, and And it's okay to change the focus of that exercise. Mm -hmm. So if the knee is restricting, okay. okay. So you're going to have to figure out a different glute activation exercise for yourself because that one doesn't work. And there's a lot of exercises out there, yeah. right? But it doesn't mean they're not going to get anything out of chair pose. Mm-hmm. Like just coming to that awareness that mm-hmm. that is their range of motion yeah. is sometimes all people need. Mm-hmm. And then it even shows them that like, if it is a structural strength issue that's causing the pain, mm-hmm. well, continuing with the practice within a pain-free range of motion will actually improve their ability to get into it next time because if it is that strengthening you go through your strengthening program pain free mm-hmm. you come back to that posture another time you might actually find you can get into the depth yeah you can find more space in the actual movement yeah. but you listen to it mm-hmm. in that moment mm-hmm. and it will give you feedback on what you need to work on and, yes. and i think a lot of people don't see that yoga has that mm. in it. Like mm-hmm. there's so much you can learn about how your body moves with yoga. Absolutely, and um, I love I like that idea of like it gives you feedback that then you can like come back to when you finish a particular program or what have you. Because uh, I think patience is always the key, right? We can't. Well, we can force things, but oftentimes that's when, you know, something goes awry. Um, whereas instead, if it's frustrating you, it's like, okay, let's play with, you know, foot positioning. Let's find activation elsewhere. There's so many different things for use going with the example of a chair pose or a squat. Um, 
arm position can change if it's a shoulder issue. Uh, if it's a knee issue, it might be foot positioning. Take a wider stance, take a more narrow stance, put a prop between your thighs, um, put a prop between your heels, to turn your toes in slightly, turn your toes out slightly. There's so many postural things that can shift in order to make something more supportive for you. But so often, especially in yoga, uh, things look a certain way on Instagram or on whatever, and that's the shape that people are trying to achieve. Um, when in reality, the best shape you can have is one that supports your body. Um, and it's, yeah, it's so interesting. I took a course uh, a year or so ago on, um, on accessibility and movement, and uh, we were shown um, a picture of a Warrior Two, and there was two pictures of a Warrior Two. One was what everyone would know as a Warrior Two that you've seen on Instagram or on a cover of a magazine, and the other one was much less into the depth of it, much more lifted out of the body, and that one is actually the one that's more structurally sound, the body, that makes more sense structurally, and often what happens is that the people that tend to uh, want to do yoga are naturally hypermobile. So that's what you're going to see as kind of the rule in the room, what people look like. However, the person doing that one that doesn't look quite as deep might actually be in a more structurally sound position than the other one. So it really just shifted my view in my mind of really what we think of as poses because we're just this whole group of hypermobile people, myself included, that can do postures a certain way so we think that's the way they're done. But in reality, it's just because we've all gotten together and think that everything looks that way because we're all in the room at the same time. Um, and that's a tip that I really like to encourage people that don't exist in that hypermobile body. Um, and they come in and they're like, why doesn't my worry to look like everyone else's? I'm like, well, you're actually doing it right. Like, what, what the way it was represented in your body is very true to how it structurally should look. It's just a lot of people are hypermobile. So it's a really good tool to know because it helps me to communicate to other students that what they're doing is a-okay and actually probably more long-term beneficial in their bodies than other folks. It's important for people to understand that no two bodies are the same. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Structurally. Yeah. And when I was going through kinesiology, it was very much like your squat needs to look like this picture. Mm hmm. hmm. Well, mm -hmm. not everybody's legs are the same length. Yeah. Right? Not everybody's relative lower leg is the same as their femur. Not everybody's hip joint is... Absolutely. Angled the same way. Not everybody's hip hip distance isn't is can be different for everybody. Shoulder width, yeah, different for everybody. So this idea that you need to look like everybody else mm -hmm. just sets so many people up for failure. Because, like you said, they see you know these wonderful hypermobile. You know, usually like ex dancers. Yeah. Yogis that can get into all these crazy positions and they're like, well, I'm not. And I call myself a yogi because I can't do that. Like, yeah. Am I doing yoga if I can't get into that position? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so interesting. And I, I come back to the skeletal structure all of the time because it's something that people 
get and understand. So big one is when we're leaving pose where you're lying on your back and you pull one knee in towards your chest. Um, and a lot of more like traditional yoga experiences, they'll say like the knee to center line of chest is more challenging and that's kind of where your end goal should be. But that's silly because totally that could be really bad for you if your hips are structured a certain way. So I'll give the options of like descending line, outside line, anywhere in between. This literally depends on the shape of your hip bones. Like this has nothing to do with your mobility or your strength or anything like that. And people are like, oh my gosh, like my skeleton has an impact on my body. Wow. <laughs> and the way I move. Yes. Yeah. Where if you see how you sit and how you walk. Yeah. Nobody walks the same. Exactly. Nobody's stride length is going to be identical, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it's just, when, when you put it like that, people can actually figure it out because they know that they don't look yeah. like the person next to them. Yeah. So why would the posture be identical? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Again, that goes back to the freedom of your class. Mm -hmm. There's no expectation mm -hmm. set in from the very beginning. Yeah. You come in, you take what you want from the class or what you need, and... Yeah, you don't set those check marks. So, yeah. To just check them. Yeah. You can just enjoy. Yeah, exactly. And just not comparing yourself to anyone else, but also not to how your last class was or how you want your next class to be, but to just feel it out in that moment is really quite powerful. Yeah, there's no sets and reps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have taken up an hour of your time. <laughs> an hour already? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe to our channel. If you'd like more information on my clinical practice, you can visit www.forcegatetherapy.ca. You can also reach me at forcegatetherapy at gmail.com. If you have any questions, we are on Instagram, Forcegate Therapy Incorporated, on YouTube at Forcegate Therapy Incorporated. Um, we'd love to hear from you and we hope you have a wonderful day. And as always, remember your health.